Thank you, Dick. Dink Gavdu, brilliant there in uh, impromptu church news. You can take your seats. It's so good to be together, and we're also in all our campuses, and uh, hope, uh, hope you were able to catch all that information. And baptisms on the 6th of March. Excited about that. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, Jesus says, be baptized. And so if you don't know anything about baptism, ask somebody. We'll be able to give you the information. But those are just the best services. And um, I look forward to baptisms on the 6th of March. Well, it's good to be back. And uh, good to be with everyone. And uh, last week we had a bit of a Spanish exchange, didn't we? Uh, Someone said, I was in Spain. And uh, here in Chesterfield, anyway, Fernando spoke. he did a great job, and, um, and so that we had that little Spanish exchange, so it's good to be back. As Gavin said, this is uh, the last part of our After the Fire series, which has been looking into the book of Nehemiah. And if you've not done it yet, I would just encourage you to read those 13 chapters of the book of Nehemiah, because even in a four-week series, we can't bring out all the detail or all the information, although we can do a really good job, and I hope this has been at least that. And the idea behind After the Fire was that, you know, Nehemiah asked the question, what is the city of Jerusalem like? And how are the people who've gone back to Jerusalem fearing? And he, he, he got the information back that the walls are still broken down and the gates are still on fire or been burned with fire. And you know, After the Fire, I think, is, uh, speaks to this moment because After the last two years, life feels a little bit like that for us too. Things have been broken down and things are still on fire. Um, But we are in a season of rebuilding. Uh, So good. I mean, just an aside, we had four singers on stage this morning. Not three. We're rebuilding church. So good. And let me say, as you know, as I've said, Jeannie and I were just in Spain. And we, first of all, started in Salt Church, which is near... Halacanti, Los Montesinos, to be exact. And a, a lady came to me after the service. She said, at the beginning of lockdown, I watched Icon Church online. I made a decision and responded. And somebody sent me, all the way from England, one of these. And she's now uh, fully plugged into Salt Church. How good is that? I actually think it was Amazon who sent it to her, but don't, (laughs) on our behalf, obviously. Uh, And then uh, that's how we started our trip, and then we traveled five hours south to see Juanito and Ulrika Johnson, who you will see here in October, by the way. But anyway, that's an aside. And Ulrika said this, they're on the Costa del Sol, we did a leaders' meeting. Uh, We got there in time to do a leaders' meeting in the evening, and then we went out for supper afterwards, and Ulrika said this, you're here now, after two and a bit years, you're here now, I know everything is going to be all right. Now that's nice to hear, but it made me realize how much we need one another, and how much we contribute, that we don't realize how much, even worshiping together, we contribute into the lives of other people. Our journey through Nehemiah has been thinking about Nehemiah rebuilding vision, rebuilding the vision for the city of Jerusalem to prosper 
and to fulfill its purpose. And then we moved into this rebuilding participation. It's why Fort Singers is important this morning or whoever's serving in any of our campuses today is so important because you remember Nehemiah chapter 3, all those names, all those people, all those families got involved. And Nehemiah, the leader, isn't mentioned in chapter 3. There's another Nehemiah mentioned, but it's not him. We met Malchiah in chapter 3. Anybody remember him? He's the guy who repaired the dung gate. So he, he, I want to look out for him in heaven. Uh, but all the people. And then two, two weeks ago, we walked through the rebuilding um, of joy and the purpose of celebration. And we, we had this verse, and I love this verse. Nehemiah 8 and verse 10. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy. It belongs to God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we talked about simple celebrations and connect group plans. One, one connect group went to Denby Pottery yesterday and did a made cups or whatever, plates, mugs. And we got people planning meetups on Fridays for drinks and things like that. We, spontaneous, we talked about spontaneous celebration, specific celebration, and salvation celebration. You know, celebrating some of the stuff that God has done in our lives at different times. The necessity of celebration. Let's not forget what God has done and celebrate. But the wall, so the wall is built. It's been dedicated. The people have celebrated. But Nehemiah is not quite finished. There are a couple more reforms that he gets involved in. And I've called these reforms rebuilding revival. Rebuilding revival. <clears throat> I know what you're thinking, and you may be asking the question, doesn't revival just happen? Isn't revival something that's sovereign and spontaneous? It's something God does, and we're not really that involved. I'm so glad you asked that question this morning. You could say that revival... As often we think about it, you know, thousands of people becoming followers of Jesus in a short space of time does happen like that. Or <clears throat> revival where thousands of people come to faith despite adverse circumstances or persecution uh, in situations where it really shouldn't happen. Maybe we could say that's spontaneous. In fact, right now in the world, the church is growing the fastest in Iran. Imagine that. The church of Jesus is growing worldwide, but it's growing the fastest in Iran. And yes, that seems sovereign. That seems there's no reason for that. What's going on there? But we were all praying for Iran a few years ago. Maybe we had something to do with it. Revival, though, as Scripture depicts it, God's people flourishing. God's people living with joy and celebration. God's people prospering despite adverse circumstances that kind of revival includes our participation and it's something we can build for and build towards I think it's something God wants us to constantly experience don't you joy of the Lord being our strength in the midst of whatever we face and I believe we can partner with it and participate in it and I want to talk about that this morning Nehemiah wanted to prepare the city for that type of revival, that consistent, that ongoing celebration, joy, movement up forward in progress and prosperity. Remember, the backdrop to Nehemiah is 
587 BC, the Babylonians invade Jerusalem and carry the people off into captivity and into slavery. Forty years later, the Persians conquer the Babylonians. And Cyrus II issues a decree that the people can actually go back to their own lands and worship their own gods. And the Jews begin to do that. 515 BC, the temple in Jerusalem is rebuilt. But 70 years after the temple is rebuilt, Nehemiah asks the the question, how's it going in Jerusalem? How are the people? And this is what chapter 1 and verse 3 says. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. We know the story now, don't we? Nehemiah weeps. And he has a burden and a vision because it's not meant to be this way. We're not meant to live in this oppression. We're meant to live in prosperity and progress in this city. This city is meant to be the joy of the whole world. And yet it's broken down. He has a vision. And a vision is a picture of what could be with a conviction that it should be. And so Nehemiah goes back and he gathers help and he rebuilds the wall. Because God's plan is not that his people are in disgrace. God's plan is that his people are a people in revival and renewal. Yeah. A people, and it felt like that in this service this morning in our worship. God's plan is a people, a, a community that's prospering, moving forward. Not a community that's just at the mercy and whim of raiders and people who are seeking to destroy them. Nehemiah knows that things are not the way that they should be. And we know that too. And I believe that's God's plan for us today. That God's plan after the fire of the last two years and after the fire that you and I have experienced in our life, whatever we face, God's plan is to rebuild, to restore, and to revive. Let me say that again. God has a plan to rebuild, to restore, and to revive. And I think in this season, the church, we have a choice. We can lament what has been lost. We can mourn what has been lost. And there's a time to weep and a time to mourn. But all we can raid the future. And I believe that's what we want to do. We want to raid the future. Let me say it again. Raid the future. And that means seeing the future that God wants. And going and raiding it. And pulling it into the present right now. I want you to remember that phrase. Raid the future, and this phrase, future now, because you'll hear that over the year ahead, because I believe it's what God is calling us to in this rebuilding phrase, to have that vision of the future, and have a conviction that it should be, and for us to take the future, and to bring it into now, amen, anybody with me? So let me share Nehemiah's two final reforms with us. This morning is two final reforms. Last couple of books, uh, sorry, last couple of chapters in the book is reforms to get the people to a place where they could experience the joy, the progress, the blessing, the prosperity that God had planned for them. We've called it rebuilding revival. And I want to share that today. And I want to just say if God speaks to you about anything in your life today or in our church today, I'm going to give an opportunity for us to respond today at the end of this message because I'd just love to pray for us. I'd just love to take a moment in this service. I'll maybe ask you to come forward and stand at the front 
And if anything speaks to you personally, and, and it's just a moment between you and God, and it, in all our campuses, we'll do the same, a moment between you and God where you can experience and encounter God restoring, rebuilding, renewing, and reviving. Is that okay? Yes. Amen. His two final reforms are these. Prioritizing worship and cleansing the temple. Prioritizing worship and cleansing the temple. I need to read a few verses to you. It's complicated. Chapter 12, 27, 28, 31 to 33, 35 to 40 and 43. So, here they are. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully with dedication the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals. Joel Phantom's pretty good on those cymbals, isn't he? Harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites. Uh, what? No, I said that completely wrong. Anyway, Manchester. <laughs> I had the leaders of Judah's, Judah go to the top of the wall and I also assigned two large choirs. Two. He could have done one, but he did two. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the Dung Gate, Oshaya, and off the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, as well as some priests with trumpets. And also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechur, the son of Asaph. The reason he's given us that list is he's saying this guy who's involved, his family has a history of leading worship. Asaph wrote many of the Psalms you read in the book of Psalms. You know, don't ever be embarrassed when your kids want to emulate your worship. Don't ever be embarrassed about that. Don't ever let people say... Oh, the church is full of nepotism. Let it, let it be full of more nepotism. Let all our children and our grandchildren want to follow Jesus and worship him. And his associates. Shemaiah, Azarel, Meliah, Galiah, Mai, Nethanel, oh, this is terrible. Nethanel, Judah, and Haniah. With musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up to the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall, and they passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir. Oh, we've only done one choir. And we've not mentioned all the people, just some of the worship leaders. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall over the gate of Ephraim, to the Jeshanah gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the God they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And listen to this. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. 
Isn't that awesome? The sound of rejoicing. It had been centuries maybe before that was true before. I want to say worship is central to the Bible. It's central to our faith. It's central to the nation of Israel. And when worship was a priority, the nation sent to prosper and move forward and go ahead into God's purposes. When worship became secondary or dull in Israel, they sent to struggle. I love Psalm 66, verse 1 to 2. Shout for joy to God. Shout all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Do you know, that's why we invest in worship. We're making his praise glorious. Some people like to criticize excellence in worship. We're just trying to make his praise glorious. He's worthy. Some, some try to criticize worship as like it's a performance. Well, that's, that's, that's like judging the motivation of a person's heart. You can't do that. You can't criticize a motive. Maybe that person is just full of an energy and full of life, and they're just trying to make his praise glorious. They're just trying to give God everything and the best. You know, it's central. You know, even if you open your Bible to the middle, you hit the book of Psalms. 150 songs of worship, of praise, of thanksgiving. The beginning of the Bible, creation. Job tells us, we read it a couple of weeks ago, that creation happened in the midst of praise and worship. All the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Can't wait to see an angel shout for joy. And then the end of the book, Revelation. What are they doing at the end of the book of Revelation? They're worshiping. They're worshipping, worshipping God, worshipping. They're saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. All the earth is filled with your glory. There's people from every tribe, nation, tongue, around the throne of God singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the one who was and is and is to come. Back to Nehemiah. Despite the temple being rebuilt, the worship was dull. But Nehemiah wanted to make God's praise glorious. And I believe revival happens in our hearts. Renewal happens. Joy happens in an atmosphere of worship. Worship has always been a key amongst God's people to stir the hearts of his people. There's all kinds of songs in the Bible. Yes, there's songs of celebration and praise. We like to call them the praises. But there's also songs of lament. There's songs about justice. There's songs of wisdom. And I even believe in our society today, all the genres of music that we experience have been influenced by worship. Often it's spiritual singing and spiritual song and spiritual worship that's at the foundation. I don't know what your favorite radio station is. I'm like, why don't you put it, why don't you let us know? Why don't you shout it out there in Stocksbridge today, your favorite radio station? Jeannie's favorite radio station is Greatest Hits of the 70s. Her favorite genre of music is Northern Soul. Like, I don't know how, but I even think that genre of music maybe had its foundation as something spiritual. But you know, the worship Nehemiah instigates tells us something, I believe, about rebuilding revival today. After the fire... Rebuilding the revival. So I've got four things. And then we're going to pray. 
Here's the four things. Number one, revival happens in an atmosphere of thankfulness. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of symbols. You might think symbols are just noisy, but God sees it as music, harps and lyres. I had the leaders of Judah go to the top of the wall. I had two choirs to give, to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the dung gate. There's that gate again. And yes, if you missed the message a few weeks ago, it's what you're thinking. But the beauty of this is it was noisy. Their rejoicing was heard far away. The first six chapters of Nehemiah, we could say, are rebuilding. The next six are all about rejoicing in Nehemiah. And they even put singers on the dung gate. Because when it hits the fan, sing. Come on, somebody. When it hits the fan, sing. Psalm 13, verse 11 says, You turned my mourning into dancing for joy. I don't know if you've heard of Brits giving. Apparently, we're, we're sneaking in on the American celebration of Thanksgiving. And we've been doing it for a while. Sales of turkeys go crazy, we know, in December. But now they go crazy in November. And it's not people getting ready for Christmas. It's people celebrating uh, American Thanksgiving. We're just getting involved. We don't want to miss out, do we? We just want to get involved. Brits giving is a thing. Nin we sell 95% more turkeys now than we did like uh, in 2014. It's incredible. I believe in the church we need to be totally committed to Thanksgiving. Yeah to making his praise glorious and to having worship that produces in us revival, I believe it's full of thanksgiving. Thankfulness to God. Thankfulness for who God is and thankfulness for what God has done. Psalm 107 verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Is anyone thankful today? Icon Church in any of our campuses? Thankful for who God is? And for what God has done, I believe that revival happens in an atmosphere of thankfulness. Secondly, revival happens in an atmosphere of unity. What I love about the Nehemiah story, we, a couple of weeks ago we looked at it in chapter 3, but we see it again here, is that the, the whole city is involved. It's not just the leaders, it's not just the, the keen people. The whole city gets involved. You know, I believe unity is like being carried along in a river. And I think we've all experienced that when it's come to worship. We've all come to church and we've needed something. And worship has carried us along. Sometimes we've been in God's presence with God's people. And we've just not felt like it. We were in a, a, a funk, I, I call it. And sometimes, you know, I've experienced this myself. I've come. And then as soon as the worship starts... Something changes, the atmosphere in my heart changes. We've needed it so many times that we've been lifted. Lifted our perspective, our view, sometimes our faith, our expectation. The atmosphere of worship, God's people in unity worshipping has lifted our hearts. You know, I love that that whole city gets involved. It's not just the worship team, it's not just uh, the whole city. It's why we can't just go to church online. 
It's why we can't just sit in our jammers at home and watch. That is a performance. <laughs> we, we need to be involved. We need to participate in worship because everyone gets impacted. And I love that in this story. And imagine that, everyone impacted by the love and the faithfulness of God. Everyone impacted by the goodness of God. Everyone impacted by the grace of God. Nehemiah 12, 40 to 43, the two choirs that gave thanks took their places in the house of God. I, together with half the officials, we've read this. I'm just going to jump down. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrehiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The reason that's there, it's saying everybody got involved. The sound of rejoicing could be heard far away. It was that loud. I don't know if you know, but we had to try and soundproof parts of this building because of our neighbors over the way. I I, I think we were unsuccessful. (laughs) I think you're still too loud for them, but not for God. And that's okay. You see, worship is a united activity. It's primarily a congregational activity. And it's so important because... We unify as we worship. Because as we worship, we're all headed towards the same goal. We're all looking at the same glory. We're all responding to the same call and the same purpose. We unify as we worship. See, we're not meant to critique worship. We're not meant to compare worship. We're just meant to worship. We're just meant to get involved in worship. Maybe you know this, but our hearts sink as we worship. Our hearts sink. They start beating at the same pace. That's why I like the fast songs in church. It's my weekly workout. (laughs) My heart starts beating faster in those. And so does yours and so does everyone else's. It's singing together, worship, congregational worship. It's the only form of communication we can do together. We can do it together. What do you mean, Paul? Well, we can't all talk at the same time. Like, imagine if I'm talking now and you all have your own conversations. And we all talk at the same time. I would resign. (laughs) Like, honestly, it's impossible. If we all talk at the same time or we talk over one another. But we can sing together. But not only, only can we sing together, we can sing different parts. Now, sadly, it's another gift God didn't give me, so I'm excluded. But I listen sometimes to uh, uh, singers, and I can tell they're singing different parts. There's, there's harmony. They're not all singing the melody like me, because if I deviate from the melody, we're really stuffed. Yeah. But they're singing different parts and the harmonies. But then you get a great choir. That sings different parts. I remember singing, seeing a choir. Can't remember which one it was. It was at the winding wheel, but they sang a song. It was a song from South Africa, actually, and I just weeping, weeping, not because the song and the, or the meaning of the song, but the brilliance of the harmony and the parts together. You add into that musical instruments. And we see that worship is a gift to build unity and to build revival because we are stronger together 
You know, when we see people with their hands raised, when we hear the roar of the church, when, when we worship as God's people. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged, aren't you? I am encouraged. So encouraged. Because worship creates unity. And a revived people are a united people. Nothing kills God's work faster than disunity and disharmony. I love pictures of our congregation worshipping together that carry that sense of unity and life and passion. Pictures like this one. It was just a couple of weeks ago. And just, just, you can just see. You can see everybody's involved. Some have got their hands raised. Some then their, their heads are raised. They're just there. They're just involved. Worshipping God together. It is so good. Revival happens in an atmosphere of unity. Two more. Number three, revival happens in an atmosphere of passion. I, I, I don't, perhaps don't need to say too much because I've said a lot, but I, we keep reading about instruments, symbols, harps, lyres, voices. The Psalms tell us, praise him on the symbols so many times. And then the Psalms go a bit further and say, praise him on the loud symbols. It's why we've had to put Joel in a cage here in Chesterfield. Because the atmosphere of heaven is joy, yes. celebration, participation. Let me remind you of this John Altberg quote. We will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. Oh, he knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He's, he's compassionate and he comes and stands with us, carries us, cares for us, loves us in all those moments. But he is... A God of celebration and joy, and he knows the power. Sometimes we think that people will be put off by our worship. Have you ever thought that? That unbelievers, if they came in, they'd think we were crazy and they'd be put off. But when I read these verses and it says, the sound of rejoicing was heard far away. Celebration and joy. I'm thinking, how would those people want to respond? You'd want to be in. You'd want to be in on it. You want to think, where's that noise coming from? Where's that sound coming from? Where's that trumpet being blown? Where's that shout, that roar of praise coming from? And, and it surprises many, as I've said, that the church is growing fastest in parts of the world where it shouldn't. And that's because people see the joy in those that follow Jesus. Friends, neighbors, families say, I know what you've been through. I know what you're going through. I know the pain that you've experienced, and yet there's this joy. In my experience, people who dislike joy in church aren't usually the unbelievers. It's not the unbelievers who say, I don't like the fact that you're so joyous in church. It's normally believers whose faith has become dull. Whose faith has become dull. I believe passion is infectious. Our joy, our celebration is infectious. Psalm 150 verses 1 to 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him from the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. No tambourines in Icon Church. <laughs> Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the loud, resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Come on, why don't we do it right now? Come on, Stocksbridge, Rotherham. 
Dolly Chapion. Praise him. I love when we applaud God. I love it when we spontaneously applaud his word. It's a faith response in us. Sometimes, you know, the musicians lead us to that place of celebration and applause. Sometimes they don't, but we do it anyway. I love that. It's like a little rebellion in church. They, they end the song low and we just go, you're not doing that. You're not doing that to me today. Uh, it's so important because it's an atmosphere of heaven and God's presence. A team can come by. Revival happens finally. This is Nehemiah's second reform in a cleansed temple. As we close, Nehemiah had to do something for all this joy to be sustainable because joy can leak, can't it? It can dissipate. For worship to be central and not peripheral, for an atmosphere of revival faith and not dull faith, Nehemiah had to cleanse the temple. We read about purification, cleansing, uh, as a repeated theme, actually, throughout the Bible. You read the scriptures, and it comes up. Some of our guys, I don't know how many have done it this year, some of them do what's called, in January, the 30-day shred. And that's they read the whole Bible in 30 days. Like, like I don't do that, but some of our guys. And one of the things they tell me is they see these repeated patterns. And each year as they do it, it's maybe a different thing that they notice, but because they noticed it somewhere in the beginning maybe of their reading, they notice it again and again and again. And I think this is true in the Bible. There's washings, there's sacrifice, there's purification. There's Joshua consecrating the people. There's Moses purifying things. There's David. There's Jesus cleansing the temple. There's Nehemiah cleansing this temple. The worship had become dull, sluggish, and dispassionate. And Nehemiah wondered why. Why? The people had become inactive, unresponsive. You could say apathetic. Not doing the things God wanted or asked for. I mean, they'd... They'd dedicated the temple. They'd read the law. They'd all said amen. But they, they weren't living it out. There was something stunting the atmosphere, something hindering joy from breaking out. And we don't want anything hindering joy from breaking out, do we? We don't want anything. A few weeks ago when we spoke about joy, I said... You know, don't leave all the dancing to the young people. Why don't you send me your videos of dancing in the street? Well, one person literally did. Here it is. Go. <laughs> Come on, give it up for Amanda and Sean. <laughs> Nehemiah finds out what it was and because of time, time's gone, and I, I, won't, I won't read it out, but in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 6 to 12, he finds out what's gone wrong. After they've rebuilt the walls, and they've dedicated, and they've read the law, there's a guy called Tobiah, and the priest lets Tobiah live in the temple. Now, it might not seem anything strange about that, Except this, Sam Ballot and Tobiah 
were Nehemiah's opposition. They were the guys who were saying to Nehemiah, come down, come down, the wall you're building, even a fox will knock it over, a, a tiny wind will blow it over. They were the ones who opposed him. And now the priest has said, you can live in the temple. Nehemiah is furious at this. He removes Tobiah and he removes all his stuff and he cleanses the temple. But not only that, he realized the people haven't been bringing. They haven't had a heart for the house, for the temple. I've got a couple of pictures here of the temple um, from that, that day. The one on the right is, is more representative of what the temple would have been like in Nehemiah's day. The one on the left was it being rebuilt hundreds of years later by Herod. But you can see all those columns at the end. They were entrances to rooms. And those rooms were meant to store the sacrifices. They were meant to store the tithes and offerings that God's people would bring and that the priests would use. And Nehemiah realizes that they've let stuff in that should never be there. And they've not done things that they should have done as a people passionate in following God. They should have had a heart for God's house. They should have had a heart for worship, a heart for the church to go forward. They should have had a heart for these things. Instead, they've become dull. And they should have never let the cynic, the doubtful, oppressing Tobiah live in a place of worship. It's a warning to us that in the place that should be reserved for worship we can allow some stuff in our lives I want to just ask us as I close what are we giving a home to that we need to release today lay it down it could be negativity it could be criticism it could be anxiety or fear we might have our own Tobias living in a space that is meant for God and our faith can become dull. But I believe God wants to renew our joy today and renew our faith. He wants to renew our thanksgiving. He wants us to stand and say, we are for unity, for worship, for togetherness. We have got a passion for God's kingdom to go forward. We're gonna be a people of joy and faith and celebration, even in the midst of darkness. We will declare that our God is good. And we will be a people who have a heart for God's purposes, a heart for God's kingdom, a heart for God's house. Come on, let's all stand together. In all our campuses, let's all stand together. I want to invite you, if you want, in Stocksbridge, in front of the stage, I want to invite you to come as an altar if you're saying, that's me. I'm turning my heart here in Chesterfield, I want to invite you to come forward. In Sheffield, to come forward and stand as we close and as we pray. And you're just responding to God's word today in Rotherham too. Use that space that's there at the front and just use that as an altar today and say, I'm standing in that place, responding and receiving from God today. And in Derby too front of that space you have in that hotel just come forward come on just take 30 seconds if that's you today and say that's me I'm responding today just step forward and we 
we're just going to pray. I'm just going to pray over the whole of our church. If you're comfortable, just stretch out your hands and sense of receiving from God. Holy Spirit, come. We're doing this united across all our campuses today. Lord, we receive from you. We want to be in this season of rebuilding. Holy Spirit, come and help us to rebuild vision in our lives, in our families. Maybe we've lost vision in certain areas. Let that vision be restored and rebuilt. I ask you to rebuild participation from our hearts to serve the kingdom of God and to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Rebuild joy and celebration in our lives. I thank you for what you're doing already this year in the life of our church. And I ask you today to rebuild a sense of revival, a sense of revival of you moving powerfully, of people's lives being transformed. I pray for every person responding today, every person across the whole of our church. Fill them afresh. Fill them afresh. Even as we worship now, in this moment, fill them afresh, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And may the impact of this be heard far and wide. Let our praise, let our worship, let our rejoicing be heard far and wide. Let our declaration that our God is good be heard far and wide. And all God's people said,